Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 48, and joining me on today's show is Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth. Paul's life in competitive swimming started at the age of seven in Bridlington, East Yorkshire, and at age 17, he was introduced to the sport of triathlon and switched to elite triathlon competition. He joined the UK's world-class potential program at Bath University while studying for his sports science degree. Paul discovered his real passion is for teaching and in 2004 launched Swim Smooth. Paul continues to coach his swimming and triathlon squads in the idyllic location in Perth in Western Australia. Hi Paul, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Not at all, uh, Darren. It's uh, it's great to be here on the show, mate. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's um yeah very. It's a great pleasure of mine actually to to have you on the show. Give you a bit of background. It was it was swim smooth and and your videos back right back in twenty thirteen that kind of helped me overcome my diabolical swimming. Um. So yeah. So uh, thanks very much for, for doing what you do. Tell me about your diabolical swimming. Tell me about your diabolical swimming. How how diabolical was it? It was so bad that I didn't actually realise I was holding my breath and wow. I couldn't actually figure out why I couldn't swim from one end of a 20-metre pool to the other without like, really being severely out of breath. Um, and it wasn't until I watched one of your videos about bubble breathing, breathing underwater and exhaling correctly, that I actually realised that I was holding my breath. And, yeah, it's um, a very common thing. It is actually, yeah, it is. And it's funny how you, when you speak to people who are just starting out, to do it seriously, that is, they, they don't realise that you're doing it. It's very unconscious, I think. Absolutely. You know, over there in the UK, obviously I'm from the UK as well. I've been over here in Perth, though, in Australia for the last 20 years. And interesting enough, the, the acronym that they use over in the UK with the ASA for teaching better, you know, the mechanics of the stroke, etc., is a thing called BLAPT which stands for right. body, legs, arms, breathing, and timing. The interesting thing with that is we, with our, within our own paradigm, Swim Smooth, we've, we talk about breathing as the absolute quintessential thing that you get, need to get solved first because you, your body, yeah. legs, and your arms don't matter at all until you can get your breathing sorted. So I'm glad, glad that really uh, resonated for you there, Dan. Yeah, it was, a, yeah it was, it's, it's funny when you talk about it, isn't it? Because it had such a transformational effect. I was like... Jesus, that just makes perfect sense. You know, you need to breathe. That's but, right. Um, yeah, so, so it's had, you've had a, a profound impact on me. And we, we met briefly, actually, um, at the Jensen Button Triathlon, but I think back in 2014, 2015. That was 2014, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so, um, yeah, when you did a, a little brief coaching session down there as well, which I was part of, which, yeah. was, which is really cool. So, um, Paul, obviously, you know, we're in this this crazy covid um situation how's things over there with you and the swimming how how's that affected what you what you've been doing 
Well, I mean, it's brought us to a complete standstill like it has in many places around the world, which has been pretty tough on the, the business side of things, for sure. And just really, yeah. you know, it makes you really realize, you know, why you coach. And one of the, my obviously biggest passions with coaching is just to be around other people and try and help them. And, you know, in my case, that's helping them improve swimming and learning to love the water and stuff. So to have that chopped off literally for the last yeah. eight or nine weeks and not to be able to do anything about it, it was, it was been quite tough, actually. Um, yeah. There is light at the end of the tunnel, though. Our local swimming pool, the pool that I coach from is actually reopening on Monday. We can't okay. get in and actually run squad sessions, certainly not in the capacity that we'd normally run them in, um, f- still for an indeterminate uh, amount of time yet. But um, we have been running some sessions since the 1st of May down in the local river. We've got a, a right. massive river here called the Swan River. It's, it's very... It's quite salty, actually, because it's quite close to the ocean. It's very large, yeah. and there's very, very little tidal flow. So in terms of okay. going there versus going into the ocean where you know we have big, chompy things with big teeth, which might uh, <laughs> take somebody. Yeah. I shouldn't really joke about it, but the, there is a big shark risk factor over here in Western Australia. It's, uh, right. It just provides a really nice sheltered environment in which to train. So we've been abiding by local swimming laws and uh, restrictions right. and stuff. We, we've been able to have nine swimmers to one coach. So what okay. I've done is we've sort of um, amplified things with myself and uh, two other coaches. So we can each take nine swimmers, so 27 swimmers in total. But what we do is we yeah. actually spread ourselves out over a distance of about 400 meters. So those are three entirely separate groups, albeit running the exact same session for our squad swimmers. And we've been doing that, like I say, since the 1st of May. It's helped us get back off the uh, off the ground again. Um, and I was yeah. just telling somebody just recently that normally at this time of year, we'll, we'll get about 320 swimmers through the program per week. Oh. Um, in the river, we've managed to get 220. So I figure that's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's definitely a step in the right direction because obviously yeah. we don't have any lane fees either, which normally account for around about $6,000 of, uh, wow. of what we turn over, basically. So it's, yeah, it, it's been tough. Don't get me wrong, you know, the first eight weeks or so, just terribly tough. And like everybody over yeah. there, I'm sure as well, just this great big uncertainty, not sure if you're ever going to get back to doing what you love and, you know, whether it be coaching yeah. or whether it be the swimming side of things. Um, but we're gradually starting to move over, that, move towards that point. And Australia's just been... You know, we've been um, very fortunate. We've we've had very few cases over here, less than 100 right. deaths in the entire country, wow. which has just been unbelievable compared to what yeah. I know it's been like over there in the UK. And part of that has just been the crazy lockdown measures that, that they went into very, very early on over here. Um, right. Western Australia itself is a massive state, and that got locked down within uh, Australia. So we were like an island within an island, if you like, Darren, okay. and it's definitely helped things. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is, like you say, it is amazing how I think that, you know, we don't appreciate what we've got until it's taken away from us. Um, and the simple acts that we do on a daily basis, whether it's swimming, whether it's running and, and stuff like that, you know, and just having that connection with other humans as well, it's um, sure. it's amazing, uh, the impact. And my hope is that actually people start realising and recognising and appreciate that when, you know, as this is starting to lift now. Um, Definitely. And, and do take, you know, the, the more simple things in life, um, you know, hold them in, in, a, in much higher value and regard, really. That's so, right, yeah, exactly. Paul, you, you've got a, a very interesting background. So, can you, for the people that haven't heard of, of Paul Newsom and Swim Smooth before, can you give us a kind of a brief background on yourself? Yeah, I, I'm from the east coast of Yorkshire uh, originally. 
grew up over there, got into a swimming club when I was about seven years of age. And um, my swimming, my local swimming club was Bridlington. If you've ever been up to Bridlington, Sunny Brid, as they call it up there. Right. That was my first swimming club. And I joined Hull Olympic as well, which is about 30 miles down the road. And my mum would take me okay. three or four times a week down to Hull. So it's a massive round trip, you know, 60, 65 mile yeah. round trip, three or four nights a week, basically. So she totally gave up all of her time and uh, an effort because it was my passion. It's what I wanted to do. She wasn't a pushy yeah. parent, though. Uh, she never sort of forced me into doing any of those things. It was just literally, this is where my passion was. And she thought, I'll just support him in, in, with that. Um, yeah. I was really lucky, actually. When I think back to those times when we started at Hull Olympic, they just put on tie- on place a, uh, a brand new full-time swimming coach. His name was bon- Ben Pollard, who's since passed away, unfortunately. Great right. guy, absolutely fantastic guy and brilliant coach. And I just remember him, uh, everyone, there was a big buzz around the club because everyone said, you know, this guy, and this would bear in mind this, uh, Darren, is 1990. This guy right. was on a salary at that time. And everyone was talking about his salary of £24,000 as a swimming coach, <laughs> you know, and everyone's like, he's a swimming coach and he's earning that much money sort of thing, you know. And um, and I just thought, you know, I, I mean, I was, I was interested in obviously the swimming and the coaching side of things, but yeah. I just, that was probably the first sign of things that I thought, okay, well, maybe... Maybe it's okay to follow your passion and maybe, you know, if passion is swim coaching, maybe you can earn a living out of it. So, yeah, that was the introduction to swimming competitively. I was never a a super brilliant swimmer or anything like that. I would go to the county standard but never get to the nationals. It wasn't until I tried triathlon in 1994, um, so I'd have been just uh, just turning 16 years of age at that point, that I I totally fell in love with open water swimming and uh, and cycling and running as well at that point. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so that sort of started things. I got... um, we moved to Halifax in West Yorkshire, um, right. probably when I was about 15. That's when I got into the triathlons and stuff and met a great group of guys there at the Rosendale Triathlon Club. I'm still very close with uh, with some of those guys now, the guys who got me into triathlon. Um, yeah. You know, as a, as a nice thing, you know, a couple of them have actually been on our um, three-day swim swim coach education courses. So these are the guys who got right. me into triathlon and now, you know, wanting to come on the course and do some coach education Amazing. with us as well, which is fantastic. Um, went down to Bath University in 1997. I did study okay. sports and exercise science. It was the first year Bath University actually offered sports and exercise science. And the great thing about that was there was a real buzz about Bath University coming up because they had a 50-meter swimming pool and a new 400-meter right. running track. And, and a great coach called Richard Hobson, who many right. of your listeners might well uh, recognize from the annals of triathlon, as it were, or the annals, I should say, of triathlon. <laughs> and the, um, yeah, he was, a, he was a, a brilliant mentor, somebody, you know, I'm still in touch with him to this day sort of thing. And a year later, Chris Jones came on down. So he was a guy who actually took over the coaching program down there and worked alongside Richard as part of the British triathlon program. And um, I think it was about 18 months into all of this, we got an announcement that uh, a very famous triathlete was going to come and train with us at the centre. And right. myself and Andy Blow, who runs Precision Hydration now, we were all like super excited about this because we when somebody told us who it was, we was like, it can't possibly be. And it, it was five times world triathlon champion Simon Lessing. So he came right. down to Bath and and it was just like, oh my God, this is this it really felt like it was a an exciting hub of triathlon at that point. You know, yeah. we're all training together, living, breathing triathlon and swimming and stuff. And it was it was absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I stayed there for four years at Bath Uni. Um, I got injured in the final year and decided I wanted to go and do something which I've always wanted to do, which was travel around the world. And right. I grew my hair long, became a bit of a hippie sort of thing, big beard and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Got my backpack on and I went through India and Southeast Asia and then eventually arrived right. in Perth. And I was only supposed to be here for three days and that was just over 21 <laughs> years ago now, I think. I was sort of there about 20, <laughs> 21 years ago. Just fell in love with the place. There's, um, 
everyone talks about how many 50 meter swimming pools there are here. I think there's about 30 50 meter public swimming pools for a population of just over a million people. So the access to water space, everybody swims over here, whether it's in the ocean or the swimming pool or indeed the river, like I just mentioned. And, um, it was just a great place to be. I got offered a job with the Stadium Triathlon Club. They had a membership then of around about 400 people. So it's quite a big triathlon club. And, you know, I was just working. Um, I, the, I was initially employed just to run three swim sessions per week. And I remember right. vividly they were paying me 125 bucks a week, um, which was barely enough to even pay the rent and never mind buying right. some food and stuff like that. So it was a real struggle. But I just wanted to sort of, it, like I say, I was a, I was a triathlon coach, qualified um sports and exercise scientist from Bath University and I just wanted to grow the program so I started adding bike sessions run sessions into it and stuff right. and, and just started developing the program but it was it was probably 2004 I think when I started coming up with the idea that um, I, what I wanted to do was create a, a library a video library if you like of all the drills and t- uh, swimming right. techniques which I've been sort of yeah. developing over the last few years and uh, we decided to create, or I decided to create a, a DVD box set called Swim Smooth, as it was called then. We did, I didn't know initially, I often laugh with my wife about, we were going to call it Swim Fresh or Swim Clean. Yeah. And the idea was it was actually um, taken off, the, there's a, a, a soap uh, powder um, company over here called uh, Radiant. don't know if you got it in the UK, right. but yeah, I just had this idea that I wanted to be able to clean up somebody's stroke, as it were. So right. somebody didn't know really how to swim very well. Yeah. I wanted to be able to clean up the stroke. So that was the idea behind that. And um, I, I shortly left Australia uh, with my wife, who's Canadian. She's a physiotherapist. And we traveled okay. around the UK for about 18 months, delivering swim smooth clinics across the UK. Of course, nobody had heard of us at that point. So we yeah. t- frequently run these sessions for you know one or two people and make a massive loss but over time it just started to gain a little bit more popularity and um yeah, yeah just sort of fast track f- slightly forwards from there um, i went back to australia with michelle my wife and uh, in 2007 we moved back over here 2008 i met who, who has since become my business partner adam young so he came right. over and spent a bit of time over here he used to work for ford for the ford motor company um, okay. as a as an engineer an automotive engineer very very bright guy very um can teach himself anything basically and yep. he came over here he was he was actually made redundant unfortunately from from ford uh, with chronic fatigue unfortunately he came over and i said wow. why don't you just come and sit with me and just coach with me for you know six months as it turned out to be and I, I couldn't afford to pay him anything because I was actually working yeah. for somebody else. So I wasn't legally allowed to actually pay him anything whilst he was over here. And um, he just sat by my side and we developed developed what was basically just a really good relationship. And to this day, you know, we're, we're best of mates. And right. um, we st- I started chatting to him about, you know, I've got this thing called Swim Smooth. It's not really going anywhere simply because I'm just a one man show. You know, and yeah. we sort of made a formal arrangement at that point to become partners in it and try to push it forward. And where Adam really excels is I'm I feel like I'm especially during this whole COVID nineteen thing, my brain just runs amok with creativity and ideas and stuff. But sometimes right. I struggle to actually uh, manifest those ideas and get them out. Whereas yeah. Adam is very very good at doing that. So he'll basically take what I do. He won't agree necessarily with everything that I say, but, uh, but yeah. between the two of us, we'll actually come up with a plan and modify and. And get the methodology out there and yeah and that was right. that was the i guess that was the start of 2009 was when things really started to, to pick up for swim smooth and um 
2010 British Triathlon asked us to re- rewrite their swim coaching program. And then 2014, okay. the International Triathlon Union uh, asked us to rewrite their entire swim coaching curriculum for all the countries around Amazing. the world. So I think there's something over like something like 169 countries, countries, I think, around the world actually utilize the, the system which we set up in Perth back in 2004. So, uh, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a great experience. We've been, been very lucky to travel around the world. In fact, yeah. When I set it up, all I really wanted to do initially anyway was just have the ability to be able to go back home and see my mum and uh, and see yeah. my sister, see my stepdad and uh, and the rest of the family and stuff like that. And I just wanted to be able to go back and, um, and, and visit them, you know, and if I could do that by running some clinics and paying for the airfare, then it would be great. And one of the really sad things with the whole COVID-19 thing is we're we're going to be locked down, I think, in Australia for quite some time. So I'm not going to get a chance yeah. to go to Mallorca, where we often run a, uh, a coach's course over there every year and the US and right. stuff. So, you know, I mean, compared to the the bigger picture of everything else that people have yeah. been dealing with, you know, if you've, if you've got families who, and, and loved ones who have been affected by COVID-19, it seems small fry to think about that. But, um, you know, it is it is quite a sad thing because I know a lot of people out there love to travel. It is one of my yeah. biggest passions and stuff. And to not be able to do that, at least outside of the country right now, it's... Um, yeah, it's a bit sad for sure, but I think we'll get there. Yeah. I think we'll move forwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, me personally, I was due to come to Perth this Christmas oh. um, to see my brother, uh, and I was going to sign up for one of your one of your coaching oh, sessions, yeah. but I don't think that's going to happen. No, it's so, not, probably yeah. not going to happen. I don't. I, I was just listening to. I love listening to classic FM actually. <laughs> right. And um, I was just so he, one of the reasons I like listening to it, I get all the British news just very you know quick up to date and, and what, yeah. what have you but they're talking about the idea of course if anybody flies into the uk i think it's is it a six thousand pound fine or a thousand pound fine if you don't really? go into two weeks of quarantine and stuff so you know somebody's and it would be the same coming this way as well so if i was yeah if i was to fly into the uk i'd have to be there for well i'd have to be there for four weeks to go for yeah. two weeks of quarantine to do two weeks yeah. of work and then i'd be another two weeks of quarantine back here so it's just obviously just not feasible for the, for the yeah, exactly. foreseeable future, you know. Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of step back when you you mentioned about getting into triathlon in 1994, because mm. you know, obviously, I only came to the sport in about 2013. So, you, so how how was the sport back in 1994? Was it very much still in its infancy? Um, oh, yeah. Because you were quite young coming to it as well. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was very much in its infancy. I think. You know, I say that there'll, there'll be stalwarts who got me into it saying, well, I've been doing it for 15, 16 years before that point, <laughs> yeah. sort of thing, you know, so it had, you know, but in terms of, you know, it wasn't in 1994, it hadn't been announced as a, an Olympic sport that wouldn't come for about another four or five years for the Sydney 2000 Olympic yeah. Games. Um, every, every race you do would be non-draft legal. Um, right. You know, so you weren't allowed to, uh, weren't allowed to draft on the bike and stuff like that. So you know, I think the the athletes from back those days, and Richard Hobson, my coach, would have been a perfect example. He was somebody who was a, you know, in modern standards, his swimming right now would be sort of second or third pack, basically. Um, but swimming didn't need to be super super fast at that point. Where everybody used to uh, rip it apart was on the bike. You know, forty yeah. k time trial on the bike, and Hobbo Captain Quads, as they called him, basically, he just <laughs> used to rip everybody apart around the bike courses and stuff. And then, yeah, yeah he'd jump off and he'd run a maybe a thirty three, thirty four minute ten k, which again wow. against against the brownies and stuff, it doesn't sound that impressive. But back in those days, it certainly was, and mm. and it all it had all been won on the. Um, on the yeah you know, on the on the bike basically we did yeah. i had a chat yesterday uh for 
our own podcast with uh, Craig Alexander Crowey, as he's called, who five-time Ironman world champion, and we were, t- we were yeah. just sort of reminiscing about back in those days and stuff, and what it was actually like. And I think it was, you know, it was it was quite a great, you know, it was a good time. There was lots and lots and lots of pool-based triathlons, as I remember, and, yeah. and that suited me down to the ground because my biggest fear, ironically enough is open water swimming and deep water. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a real phobia of, uh, of deep water, especially, and I've obviously come to address that over the years. But um, yeah. what I don't like, it's maybe a little bit of a vertigo thing for me. I don't like swimming in really deep water when you can see all the way down to the bottom. It just right. it just sort of spins me out, basically, and the imagination, Steven Spielberg and <laughs> uh, Run Wild, basically, you know, and, and yeah. it just sort of puts me out a little bit so i got into triathlon in 94 but my first few races were all pool based and it wasn't until 95 i think that i did my first open water swim and it was i remember to this day actually that summer before i did the triathlon so this would have been like sort of june july i went with my mum and my stepdad and my sister and we went down to the south of france and um down near Po in the south of France. We watched the Tour de France down there. And um, we went for a, um, what's it called? A wild water rapids sort of, you know, um, big inflatable boat thing down the down the rapids. Yeah. The Yeah, rap- white water rapids, basically. And um, I was, we were going down there. And I remember my stepdad, just for fun, just pushing me off the boat, basically. And I didn't have any <laughs> goggles on or anything. And my mum threw these goggles out to me. She says, go on then, put your head down, do some swimming. You know, I know I was a I was a good swimmer at that point, but I'd never actually done that. And just for the about, oh, it's probably only about twenty meters. I put my head down, opened my eyes underneath the water, and it was like, oh my god, this is awesome. Yeah, you know, so all that fear that I'd actually had over the years and stuff. You know, we used to go on school trips, um, and everyone would say, oh, Paul, he's the swimmer of the of the school sort of thing. Why don't we go for a swim in the sea? But I wouldn't do it. I'd, I'd clam up. Yeah. I'd be really nervous about going in the uh, in the sea and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I still get. Uh, you know, some every now and again a bit of get a bit of anxiety, but uh, I've been fortunate enough to swim the English Channel uh, back in 2011. Okay. So I swam across there. So that's, you know, it's obviously pretty deep, pretty murky. I swam yeah. around Manhattan Island, so around New York City in 2013, yeah. and, and again, that's fairly deep, nasty sort of yeah. <laughs> water and yeah. stuff. And I was due to be coming up over to um, to swim Lake Windermere in September on my birthday this year, unfortunately, but it, that's not going to happen now. So. Right. It's a bit of a shame, and that would have yeah. really tested my tested my anxiety yeah. because it, even though there's nothing in there that could hurt you, it's just this no. idea of you know swimming in 300 meters worth of water in places. I think that's how deep it is, and you know eerie and dark and all those sort of things. Yeah. So I, I hope I'm not scaring anybody listening to this, but it, just to sort of put it into perspective, you know, I've been fortunate to do some really big races um, right around the world in some crazy waters and stuff like that. But I'd be the first yeah. to put my hand up and say. I still get nervous and anxious, just like uh, like a lot of your listeners probably do. Yeah, and and I think you know that's actually quite a common thing. You know, you, you think as adults you're kind of fearless and everything else, and it would only affect children. But I regularly see people that are you know trying out open water swimming for the first time in the lakes, um, kind of struggling with putting their head in and, and looking at what's at the bottom or being able to see the weeds or fear of getting caught up in the weeds and things like yeah. that. So. So yeah, it is. I think it is definitely quite a common fear that people have. Um, definitely. So obviously, as we've already mentioned, Paul, we're coming out of lockdown, you know, and obviously in your area, pools are starting to open up. They're not opening up over here so much. So obviously, open water swimming in the UK is going to very much be um, very popular right now. And there's all the social distancing um, coming in place. So for people that are are actually either going to start or are coming back from this extended break we've had away from swimming, 
I know with Swim Smooth, you just started a nine-week program, I think it is. But what what would you recommend how people come back from? Because a lot of people have been doing dry land with the bands and everything else. But what's your recommendations on how you can come back into swimming? Uh, it's a really good question, actually. And I, I think the first point is, is just literally do it very gradually. You know, it's tempting right. to think I'll go back and do an hour session or I want to swim 3Ks. And a lot of my guys over here, when we started the, the river swim sessions that we've been doing uh, for, you know, for small groups of nine people, I could see a lot of people towards the end of the session look at their watches thinking, oh, we've only done 2.4Ks. I'd normally like do 3Ks or 3.5Ks yeah. or what have you. We, we purposely restricted the length of those sessions to just 45 minutes. And even for some of you guys, if you haven't been able to swim at all over there in the UK, which most of you won't have been able to, over here in Perth, a lot of the guys who are actually joining me have still been able to, and lucky enough to be able to swim in the ocean. They just haven't been doing right. any structured training. So, you know, 45 minutes might still be a long time. So even just say to yourself, okay, I'm just going to get in there, go, go for 10, 10, 15 minutes, see how I feel and Definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely go with a partner. Um, and one of the things that we've started using over here are these uh, swim secure uh, tow floats. You might have seen them. I think they're actually yeah. pretty much um, par for the course over there in the UK. It's a little float that you pull behind you. I've always been hesitant to use one of these things because I always thought oh, it'll drag me and slow me down. And I don't want it <laughs> yeah. to affect my Strava segment <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> but um We've done a test actually with our fastest swimmer in the squad and over a distance or, or timed time swim of five minutes, um, we did a couple of double back uh, tests on this and it was creating about three to five seconds of drag over five right. minutes. So it's really very, very minimal. Yeah. Having something like that just gives you the assurance that, you know, if you do need to take a pause or a breather, you can just hold on to it for a moment. It keeps you nice and visible as well, um, just in yeah. case anything untoward happens. But I think over there in the UK, there's a, there is a lot of conjecture at the moment about, and I've been following all the news about whether or not you should be swimming in the open water. A couple of the governing bodies say yes, a couple of the governing bodies say no. The ones who are yeah. saying no are definitely sort of saying that because they are... Um, concerned that it might be putting a stress on the emergency services and quite rightly right. so you know if somebody gets into a yeah. bother um whether it be from hypothermia or heart attack or something like that um, the last thing you want to be doing is jeopardizing vol- volunteers out there with that so the first tip really you know start gradual start a lot smaller than you would ever imagine you'd want to start you don't even go yeah. into it thinking this is a workout just go into it and think to yourself this is an experience i'm having an experience of getting into open water and being able to do a few strokes and if that's all you do you only do i don't know 50 meters 100 meters something then you've yeah. achieved something by doing that um yeah go with a friend have one of these tow floats with you both of you have one of these tow floats with you if you, if you can do tell people where you're going um make sure you go into a sanctioned area that a lot of the a lot of our coaches around the uk um are working in conjunction with some of these local open water venues where yeah. you know there's a lot of water safety on the on the water and those sort of things the whole notion of of wild swimming specifically wild swimming in the uk at this point in time i would say something i would say be very very wary of that yeah the whole thing with the wild swimming is go and find a body of water that nobody else is there and stuff but if you get in trouble in those in those waters right now it's it's not it's simply not fair on anybody else out there so find a sanctioned area go with a mate go with a group if there is such a thing and uh and just make sure you're you're actually looking after yourself and uh, and, and keeping you know i wouldn't I, I would certainly not be suggesting go without a wetsuit i'd be encouraging yeah. everybody to wear a wetsuit and we I, I say that and i know a lot of swimmers might be listening to this and frowning going i hate wearing a wetsuit yeah but it's not yeah. about it's not about you 
what hating wearing a wetsuit is about you doing the right thing for everybody else at this point in time. Yeah. It's about knowing that the wetsuit is going to keep you warmer. It's going to provide some buoyancy as well. It's going to make you safer in the open water. And, um, and it's just, a, just a thing that you, that you probably best to do at this point. And I've, I've encouraged all my swimmers over here to be wearing them and it just makes yeah. life as a, as a coach that much more sort of, um, it just feels a lot more secure and people are enjoying the challenge of, you know, working with the, um, with a wetsuit and something doing something different that they haven't experienced before. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you make a, a fantastic point about, you know, the consideration of it's not just you going to a lake, whether that's manned or unmanned, it's you um, being socially responsible for what's going on around us. And COVID is very much still a factor that emergency services and NHS are still very much under stress. And it's being responsible in that regard, not just being selfish because you want to do a swim. Exactly. But, but to touch on, on the other point that you mentioned there about just take it easy, it's, it's, it's really funny you say that because when I got into the lake last Monday, um, you know, you're instinctively, because you, you've swum before and you just want to get back to it, you, yeah. you know, the, the lake's divided up into a 450, 750 and 1500 metre loop. You right. just want to jump in and do the 1500 metres. Yeah. Um, and I actually didn't. Um, I just did uh, two 450 loops right. and I stopped. I kept stopping. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because you just, in, you know, you want to get out there, you want to get at it hard. But you, you, the reality is you will have lost some conditioning. Totally. You will have lost a little bit of um, swim performance. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, it, it, it makes perfect sense. So just take it steady because otherwise, if you don't, you'll end up putting yourself backwards anyway. Yeah, no, and that's the last thing. You don't want to be compromising your immune system at the moment. And, and let's face it, like nobody's training up for anything right now because there are no events. No. So it's not like it's an urgent thing. You've got to get fit yeah. again in a short space of time. There's nothing nothing like that pressing you. And and in many ways, you know, that might actually that might actually be um a bit of a, a nice release for some people. Somebody yeah. very competitive like myself, you know, I I struggle with the idea of just doing exercise for exercise sake. I always feel like I've got to have a goal. I've got to do this. I've got to train up for this yeah. big event and stuff. So a lot of this has actually forced me to sort of sit back and, and reflect. And, you know, today you had, um, we did, we've just, just come back from the river now, actually. Um, we've had uh, two groups of, what do we have? Two groups of 30 people down there this morning. And right. um, with about an hour and a half gap between. And, it was so beautiful down there with the sunshine. I thought, right, I've got, I'd normally be thinking, I've got an hour and a half, I've got to get four Ks in or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I started putting my wetsuit on and I got chatting to somebody and then uh, I did get in the water, but I only ended up swimming for about 900 meters. And, you know, it was, yeah. I thought, okay, well, that's still a win. It's still better than zero meters, which Absolutely. is what I've been getting, you know. And, yeah, so don't, yeah. definitely don't be beating yourself up thinking, I've got to do more, got to do more. You're all, it's if there's ever a time to be gradual and progressive in your build-up, now is that time. And, uh, yeah, like I say, yeah. treat it as an experience as opposed to a training session to begin with. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Don't let your ego get in your way of you. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Um, a couple of little things that people can do, though, you know, with the um, as they start to get more and more into it, we talk a lot about using these tempo trainers in the swimming pool. So some yeah. of the stuff that I've been doing with my, uh, my swimmers um, – we normally use a tempo trainer for a couple of couple of ways. I'm not sure if you used it yourself, Darren, but they, um, yeah. if we, if I said to somebody, right, okay, we're going to swim 400 meters and I want you to swim this 400 meters in eight minutes. That's obviously two minutes per hundred meters, or it'd be 30 seconds per 25 meters. I could set the tempo yeah. trainer to beep every 30 seconds. And all you've got to do is you've got to make sure you're at the end of the pool. It's almost like a beep test to turn on the yeah. beep and then just helps you to measure out your effort as you're going along. 
The nice thing with that, though, it's the tempo trainer in mode one is accurate to one one hundredth of a second. So if you were in the pool, you'd sort of think, okay, I've got through that this week. Next week, I'll make it a little bit faster, maybe two tenths of a second faster next week and so on and so forth. You build it up in the open water. It's much more difficult to be very accurate with your distance. So what I've been doing with my swimmers is rather than using mode one, which is super precise, I've been saying to them, okay, let's swim around that boat, that boat, this turning boy, and then back to that flag over there. And I said, and what I'll do is I'll actually time them to swim around. I'll say, okay, that's let's swim around this at 70% effort. So not too hard. I'll time you. So let's say they go around in five minutes. I'll then set the tempo trainer up to beep at them um, after four minutes and 50 seconds, for example, just to nudge them on that little bit further. And then what yeah. they've got, they've, they've then got a little bit of structure whereby they're actually swimming around a loop in, in a with a timed thing. And this wouldn't be this, the first session you'd do back. Obviously, that would sound like I'm contradicting myself there. But yeah. you know, if you let's say, for example, you've done five, six sessions of just doing the experience thing, and now you're starting to get a little bit fitter, starting to get a bit more confident, the water's warming up, uh, restrictions yeah. are starting to ease, then you might start to sort of structure your training sessions a little bit like that. That's quite a good way of doing it. The other way of doing it is to use mode three, which is for stroke rate, and you can actually set it at a different tempo so you could say to yourself right okay i'm going to focus on getting my stroke rate up today uh i'm going to yep. chop i'm going to punch into those wind into that uh, swell and chop that i'm swimming into um or i'm going to you know, i'm going to lengthen things out a little bit now i'm going to slow it down focus on my catch a little bit more all these sort of things you can do and it, it's really opened up the eyes of my squad over here that you can actually do a lot of structure in the open water because most people just get in and just swim a loop or yeah. swim for half an hour or whatever and then get out without any sort of yep. structure so you know, over the last sort of couple of weeks, we've just gradually, incrementally introduced that sort of little bit of structure. And um, but given the fact that the duration of the sessions are actually still very short, it's not putting mm-hmm. anybody in, like nobody's getting out of these sessions completely knackered. Like they sometimes get out of the yeah. pool, uh, yeah. everyone's still got a lot left in the tank. Yeah, and I think that's important actually to have that rather than just jumping in a lake and just swimming to do those drills, to do those sessions yeah. that have a bit more structure because it is such a different environment to the pool i mean yes you know when you've got a busy pool you have you know it's quite wavy it's quite it can be quite choppy but you know you're very much against the elements you know whether that's if there's a lake with a little bit of a current or whether or not you know it's, it's quite weedy or if it's quite dark there's all those other kind of things from a psychological aspect that you have to deal with when you're swimming in open water which can make you know you can get fatigued from a, a mind perspective because you've got to concentrate on all them other things as well. Definitely, definitely, yeah, for sure. So, Paul, if obviously over here we're only starting to get lakes opening up now and there's probably going to be a large majority of people listening to this who've not done open water swimming before and only do pool swimming, so therefore they're less inclined to go into the open water. Yeah. And, and there's been a, a huge, obviously, influx of dry land training. So yes. what kind of recommendations have you got for continuation of the dry land training during this period well yeah i think if anybody's actually tried some dry land training stuff we put out a uh, a massive program on our swim smooth guru back uh, it's probably about four or five weeks ago now because we recognize the need to put something out there and help pe- help people structure yeah. what they're doing i think you know my wife's a physiotherapist and she's actually in the video demonstrating all the exercises and then yana westerhays and our coach in south africa is actually talking through so both yana and michelle are physiotherapists so it's a guided sort right. of structured program going through and one of their hopes with the the dry land 
Line program was that this isn't just a stopgap until you get back into the pool. This is something that you might hopefully continue with once you get yeah. back to the pool. And, you know, we see a lot of shoulder injuries and stuff in swimming. Uh, a lot of that can be fixed by correcting stroke technique, but some of it needs to be corrected by fixing imbalances in muscle in musculature and stuff like that. Um, so it's, you know, the, the dry line stuff can actually really help with that, especially like the therabands, the stretchy cords, basically doing yeah. some external rotation work which is where you've got your elbow. So if I'm just trying to visualize this now myself. Elbow, left elbow bent at 90 degrees with my hand almost like a bit of a fist, if you like, with a TheraBand yeah. or a stretchy cord reaching over towards my right-hand side. And then what I do with that left elbow, just keeping the elbow tucked into the side, is just turn that left hand outwards. So it's what we call external rotation of the of right. the shoulder joint there. And it, what it's doing is it's actually helping to strengthen the muscles at the back of the shoulder. A lot of people tend okay. to cross over in front of their head when they swim, or they might have even been taught to enter into the water thumb first. And that sort of very yeah. much puts you into this sort of rounded postural position, almost like a like a hunchback, you know, hunching over, yeah. basically. Um, you'll probably notice for a lot of elite swimmers even stand like that naturally, you know, because they're actually sort of very well developed at the front. But if they yeah. haven't actually spent enough time drawing back and actually create, uh, improving the musculature behind and stability behind the shoulder, then they could run into run foul from that. So, yeah, the dry line stuff is is great, and um, and I think it's you know you you wouldn't necessarily need to come to if you've been crazy and been doing like thirty forty five an hour session sort of thing with the dry land. Um, you probably won't want to maintain that, especially if you can get back to the pool. You yeah. don't have time to do that. But if you can still maintain, you know, five ten minutes three times a week, for example, you know, maybe just before yeah. you go to bed or either before or after a training session that you've just done, it will it will certainly help with that and uh, you know just improve the posture a little bit. It's been it's been a funny thing actually because there was a there was a rush probably at the end of March for everybody, every man and his dog putting out a video about dryland core training yeah. on Instagram, is on Facebook. It's like, oh my God, yeah. so many, so many things. What we decided to do was have a different slant on it with ourselves and, um, and do it from a more of a physio's perspective and, and hopefully yeah. with the long-term focus on keeping this going. Um, and also creating a program as well, which is easy to remember. So, yeah. I, I mean, I'm guilty as the next man sort of thing. If you think about all the different drills you can do in the pool, trying to yeah. remember all those different drills quite hard. But if you put a structure and a, and a process behind it and a reason and rationale behind why you're doing it, you can create something which has got like a very easy roadmap and people can just sort of work their way through. So Yana and Michelle did a brilliant job of pulling that together and I filmed it and then edited it and put it out there. And uh, it's been yeah. really well received, which is which is great. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, I kind of draw the, the, the parallels to, you know, the, the running and cycling, you know, you want to do strength and conditioning training to have a good solid core to kind of support you, particularly with running and, and, and swimming. And so if you can add, like you say, as opposed to having it instead of, you know, if you have the dry landing in, in you know, in addition to your normal swimming as well, because if you know if you can strengthen your body and get your posture right, then at least when you are in the pool and you are swimming, you can swim in a much more efficient way. Does oh, that make yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I think yeah, I think that that like you said, it's oh, obviously what you've done is you've approached it from you know just add this to your you know to your training plan and, and like you say as well, there just being able to do ten to fifteen minutes that's doable for everybody you know even when perhaps there's a day when you can't get in the pool or you can't get in the in the lake you know you can at least do that to kind of keep your conditioning up 
Exactly. You know, there'll be a lot of people out there who like travel for business and stuff. And that's a classic thing yeah. that you hear from, you know, busy business people flying around the world is that, oh, you know, I can go for a run around the thing. You might even find a gym, a bike in the gym sort of thing downstairs yeah. in the hotel. But being able to maintain your swimming is quite, quite challenging. And hopefully some of that dry land stuff will definitely carry through for people. Yeah. Awesome. So with, um, some of the, the, the dads and the people listen to this, um, there'll be a lot of people that are beginners. Um, and obviously, let, let's assume for a second there that we do have our local pools open um, and, you know, they do want to get started. What would you recommend is a, is a good kind of structured training session to start with? I know you, obviously you've got a lot of stuff on your YouTube channel and the, and the Swim Smooth Guru, yeah. but just for the benefit of the listeners, how would you approach it? Well, I mean, the first, I'd probably start with the thing that made the biggest difference for yourself, Darren, which is all about the breathing side of things, you know, getting to grips yeah. with that. A lot of people come to the pool and if swimming's not your thing and, you know, some people do see it as a bit of a necessary evil for getting into triathlon, um, chances are you're going to be a bit tense, a bit anxious, a bit nervous maybe about getting in there. And even just doing one of the drills that we do is to go down to a, a deeper part of the of the pool, maybe anything from about four or, four or five feet deep would probably, be, would probably suffice. And just holding onto the side of the pool, and just gradually blowing out and doing some sink downs, as we call them, down to the bottom yeah. of the pool, just to teach you how to exhale properly. And it might seem like a real namby-pamby thing to do, but what it does is it just, t- as you said yourself, you know, you see so many people holding on to their breath when they're swimming. We see it all the time. Yeah. The problem with holding on to your breath when you're swimming, first and foremost, it makes you feel a lot more nervous and tense and anxious than you should be doing. Yeah. But secondly, it adds buoyancy to the chest which is the last place you need it when you're swimming. You actually need, you know, that's one of the reasons people love wearing their wetsuits or swimming with the pool boys because it lifts their bum and legs really high. So if you've got somebody who's holding onto their breath, you know, and they've got low sinky legs, then the two things go hand in hand. So just spending a little bit of time at the start, you know, just doing a couple of those sink downs and maybe just doing a few easy laps where you're just focusing purely on exhaling in the water. The bubble, bubble, breathe mantra, which you mentioned earlier on, is something which which we put out years and years ago. Um, But it's been something which allows people just to remember okay, when my face is down, I need to be exhaling. So bubble, bubble, and go to take a breath. And if you use that format, bubble, bubble, breathe, bubble, bubble, breathe, bubble, bubble, breathe, that actually gives you a nice bilateral breathing pattern. So breathing to both sides. And, you know, not everybody likes bilateral breathing. Some people, you know, there's a lot of coaches around the world who sort of argue of its benefits. But we see it as a great way just to improve the swimmer's versatility. So when you're in the open water, you might spend the entire time just breathing to your left or you might need to spend the entire time breathing to your right. But if you practice a little bit of bilateral breathing, then you're going to be well set because you could go to either way. And we just find that pure bilateral breathing, i.e. breathing every three strokes, just really helps to center and balance people. And there's a massive argument to say that, uh, oh, you need to be breathing more frequently than every three. But the problem is when you breathe every two, especially if you've got a relatively yeah. high stroke rate sort of thing, you don't actually get time to exhale properly. So every time you go to take a no. swallow of breath of air in, it's like a... <gasps> yeah. You don't actually get the time to go... Yeah. And sigh and relax and let it all out between the strokes. So, you know, it's almost a little bit like that fight or flight syndrome type of thing. You know, people hold yeah. on to their breath because they think they've got to, you know, they've got to survive. But in actual fact, doing it like that can actually make things doubly worse because that makes your legs sink as well. So, yeah, for any any warm-up, I'd just encourage people to just focus very much on the on the exhalation side of things. 
you one of the classic things we then see if if holding on to breath is probably the most common thing we see when we do a video analysis session um the second thing would be you tend to see a lot of people crossing over in front of their head it's a very very yeah. common thing to see you don't tend to see it unless you can get above the swimmer so many swimmers don't actually realize they're doing it themselves but when you go to take a breath let's say you're going to breathe to your right hand side it's super common for the left hand to cross over in front of the head uh right. usually if you go to breathe to your left hand side the right one tends to wrap around and, and that can cause you to sort of snake and jackknife down the pool in the open water it cause you to swim off course etc so we do a lot of work Work, the sort of next level of development within our programs is very much then trying to address someone's posture and alignment in the water. So yeah. very simple exercise. Many of your listeners might have done this without necessarily realizing why they're doing it. It's just do some side kicking. So kicking on your side. But yeah. most people do this maybe without a pair of flippers and they kick like crazy and they think this is a kicking drill. But it's actually got nothing to do with kicking at all. It's got everything to do with your, your upper, bo- upper back posture. So all that good dry land diligent training you've been doing, which has been teaching you to draw your shoulder blades together and back. If you side yeah. kick and actually think about doing that exact same thing, what ends up right. happening is you draw your shoulder blades together and back and your hand straightens up. You kick for, you know, let's say 10, 12 meters on your left side. You do 10, 12 meters on your right side. And then you can start to swim normal freestyle and just really visualize the middle finger of each hand extending yeah. straight forward in front of each shoulder, especially when you go to take a breath. So suddenly you can change that bubble, bubble, breathe mantra to bubble, bubble, straight bubble bubble straight so when you go to take a breath in you're actually thinking about your arm going straight forwards and uh, and keeping the head nice and low breathing into that little bow wave and just uh, just helping with that so that you know that would be we call that particular drill that drill sequence we actually call it the javelin drill you're sort of kicking on the side for a little bit and then straight into your freestyle uh with the idea that if you've kicked on your left side so you've got your left arm out breathing to your right Maybe when you get halfway down the pool, start swimming normal freestyle, only breathing to your right, and just focus on that left hand going straight forwards like it was doing you kicking on the side. So that, that that particular drill features in lots of our programs. Really like it. Another another really good yeah. one. Uh, it's a little bit more advanced. Is again kicking on the side, but as you kick on the side, you raise your arms straight up into the sky, pause for two yeah. seconds, and then spear into the water and switch over onto the other side. We call it the broken arrow drill. And the reason this would be really good for all those dads out there listening to this is because as you start to get older, you know, I'm coming up to my 42nd birthday. I've got two kids myself. And I, I know yeah. we all get a lot tighter, a lot stiffer if we're over the computer yeah. all the day, all the time and stuff like that. Um, what it, what the broken arrow drill does, it sort of recognizes that, okay, we might not have the flexibility and mobility in our upper back and shoulders that you know, a 15, 20-year-old does. So why are we trying to swim with that classic high elbow recovery over the top of the water where your fingertips are almost just trailing? That can actually be yeah. detrimental for your shoulders. It can make you feel really tight and, 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 and tense. So the yeah. broken arrow drill actually gets you bringing your arm up straight and then pausing and then spearing into the water there. And what it does is it encourages you to then swim with a slightly straighter arm recovery over the top of the water. So... It means you've got a little bit more lift of the hand over the surface, which is perfect for open water swimming because it helps your hand get over the rough, choppy water. It also means that you're not battling against the inflexibility of your wetsuit in your shoulder as well. And, it, you know, if if it's in the pool, then for all of you guys out there who are a little bit tight and stiff, especially if you've got young kids as well. So if you're constantly picking them up, cradling them, carrying them sort of thing, you know, it does bring you into that bad postural position. 
So we find a lot of dads in the squad really respond very, very well to the broken arrow drill. And yeah, so those would be a couple of drills. And maybe last thing is, you know, especially if you're just thinking, okay, getting back into some swimming, not really doing anything too structured, just doing some laps where, you know, whether you're using a tempo trainer or maybe using an Apple Watch or a Garmin or something like that, just challenge yourself. Say, okay, right, I'm going to swim here at what feels like 70%. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to do, let's say, five times 200 meters with 30 seconds rest between them. And the only job you've got is to make every single one of those 200s the same time as the last one. So let's say it takes you four minutes to do a 200 meters. The next one, four minutes. Next one, four minutes. And when you get home, and if you've been wearing a wearable and you download it sort of thing, what you want to do is make sure that not only are you going through each 200 meters hitting four minutes, but each 25 meters is taking you 30 seconds to do as well. So it's just a very, very good chance to then practice some of the breathing, keeping calm and relaxed, practice some of that sort of keeping your hand nice and straight as you point forwards rather than crossing over in front of your head and just doing it in a calm, relaxed way so that you're not, you're not thinking, right, I've got to, you know, we call it over here in Australia, we call it racing for sheep stations. You're not racing for (laughs) sheep station here. You're actually racing. You're actually just swimming and the only objective is to be consistent with your pacing, keep make, making sure you're mindful about your exhaling underneath the water and just keeping yourself yep. really calm and collected. Yeah, I, I think that's some great advice there. There's a lot to pick out of that. I think one of the things is in terms of getting into the pool for the first time, I still do this now, and that's obviously from you guys. Well, I just I do it three to four times where I keep my legs straight. And I just sink to the bottom by just really pushing out the air out of my lungs just to get my myself conditioned for the fact that when I start to swim, you know, I need to do this bubble, bubble, breathe. Um, and, yeah, like I still do it, like I said, to, to this day. So I think that that's, that's right. very, very key. And then the other point as well is what you just said there is around pacing. So all too often instinctively we jump in the pool and it's exactly like you said you know you want to race for that that sheep station um (laughs) but it but it's backing off and it's and there's a lot of um i think there's a lot of skill involved in understanding where your 70 percent is your 80 percent is and and actually working within those zones because when you do that i find when you back it off you're way more inclined to have a much more smoother approach and you can focus on whatever technique or drill you're working on that time in a much more effective manner. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it just makes everything, it's just everything becomes a lot more productive. Um, Yeah. You you know, you see people doing interval sessions, you might be 10 times 100 metres, and, you know, they're setting the world light on the first two or three intervals, and then suddenly they... They fought, let's say, for example, their target pace is one minute forty-five for those for their swims, and the first few they're doing one minute thirty-five, but the last few are one minute fifty-five or two minutes and stuff. You've completely blown the session by doing that. It's just not effective yeah. at all. And um, yeah. you know, so you've always got to always just got to think, especially in triathlon when you're racing really any distance of seven hundred and fifty meters above. You've got to be very much thinking about how aerobically efficient are you becoming, um, and that that accounts also for how technically efficient you're becoming. But how aerobically efficient are you becoming? Are you sending yourself into the red zone, or are you actually yeah. just sort of like you say, just sitting slightly back at that point and uh, and just becoming as efficient as you possibly can at that point, yeah. which is which is maintainable. Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned a little bit about the COVID comeback program that you've released on the Swim Smooth Guru. So can you just give us a little bit more insight and detail as to what that contains for the listeners? 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a it's a nine week program, and um, the idea behind that is it. We often find that programs, following programs, are probably good for up about up to about ten weeks. Beyond ten weeks, it start you start to get a bit stale, and it feels like the the end is never coming. Basically, so this is just a yeah. nine week program. The idea just to literally get you back started again. It's a we start off with you know suggesting two or three sessions per week, and it gradually moves out to three or four sessions per week. Um, each of the sessions will probably take you between 45 minutes and, and 60 minutes. There's a heavy emphasis on doing drills and technique work at the start. And then as you start to build right. up your endurance, so too do we start to become, uh, some of the sessions start to involve, you know, set intervals and structure and those sort of things. A lot of people over here were worried that the first session back in the pool we'd do would be a CSS test, one of our threshold tests, <laughs> because yeah, you know, we, we base, we pin so much on, uh, knowing that number and uh, and making yeah. sure you know what it is at any point in time that most people assume that that will be the first thing we'll do but really the first sort of certainly six seven eight nine sessions that you do you just really want to be going through the motions like I said in the open water you want to be having that experience as opposed to a workout necessarily and then as it starts to change and improve you know you get to six seven eight sessions you'll be a little bit more inclined then to start to add a little bit more structure to it. So the program yeah. sort of develops with that. We get start to get into a little bit more threshold development and, and those sort of things. But right. the key component of the of the program is, is obviously the blend of drills and how we do them um, when we start to integrate some of the longer, harder sessions. And also specifically, and this, and this seems like, oh, I could have thought of that type of thing, but one of the things that we encourage people to do about 12, maybe 18 months ago was this idea of swimming two Ks every other day. Now, right. that's mainly for our swimmers out there. So if you're triathlete listening to this, you're thinking to yourself, well, oh my God, I would never normally swim that much anyway. But maybe yeah. even if it's just one 2K continuous swim per week, where you're thinking about your exhalation, you're not stressing yourself. And the idea is it's not a time trial. So a lot of triathletes, me included, have that idea that, okay, if somebody's setting me a continuous swim of 1,500 meters and above, it means it's a time trial. I've got to improve my time each time. It's <laughs> yeah. not about that at all. It's about swimming at about 70 to 75% effort, going through the motion, keeping your breathing calm and relaxed, not pushing yourself too hard. And yes, you can see what time it takes you to do that 2K. I'm sure everybody would be interested in that. But the next yeah. time you do it, the idea is not you don't have to try and beat it. You probably will beat it because you'll just be getting fitter and back into the swing of things. But the idea is that you just sort of, you know, go through the motions and this is a really aerobic swim, just chance for you to build up a bit of that endurance. It's a little bit like going yeah. out your bike ride on a Sunday with your mates and stuff, yeah. you know, it's it's chit chat sort of pace and it's um you, yeah. it's doing you some good. Um maybe even if it's just socially, but it's doing you some good in terms of just building up that sort of lower level in aerobic endurance, which you can then sort of put to put to best use when you start to add some of the interval stuff later on in the week. So, uh, yeah, the yeah. idea was to actually just provide people with a bit of structure. There's 34 sessions in there. Uh, okay. Of course, nine weeks to sort of build people up. And, um, yeah, we're, we're hoping it's, it's going to be pretty good. You know, during this whole COVID period, we, we started to think to ourselves, okay, well, how can we help – our coaches we've got 50 coaches dotted around the world each, right. each of them would have an average of let's say 100 swimmers out there what we wanted to do we we gave them completely free and open access to the guru for all of their local swimmers so even right. though they weren't able to get down to the swimming pool we knew that eventually when they would it'd be good for them to have a structured program that they could follow yeah but even during this period they've been pointing them to various drills and videos and stuff within the guru so they've just being able to maintain a bit of that engagement so yeah we we up um what's the word we uh onboarded five thousand swimmers over this period just straight up wow. onto there and, you know obviously we do it all 
did it all for free for those guys who are working with the coaches because we know the benefit of, of getting them in there, being yeah. able to see the program and then be able to get themselves fast-tracked and back forwards. You've got to try and keep people positive during this period. And, you know, we, we've taken a, we've taken a, I won't, I won't beat around the bush. We've taken a massive hit financially during this period. It's been, yeah. it's been terrible to be honest with you, but, but right. we're going to come through this and, uh, you know, if we can come through that stronger, if more people can know a little bit more about what we do and stuff. Absolutely. And it's going to be a yeah. positive thing down the line. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, yeah, all credit to you to, to, for taking that approach, really, because like you said, you know, it's in times like this when we need to support each other. And I think there's been a lot of that going on. Um, so, yeah, all, yeah, all, all credit to you, really. So, so obviously, you know, you, we, we talked a little bit about triathlon, you know, that's, that's my passion or, or obsession, as some people call it. So in terms of being like an all round training schedule, I know, obviously, you're focused on, on the swimming. Yep. But is there benefits that you can take from cycling to running to kind of bring into swimming and vice versa? It's a really good question. The The studies and uh, research out there shows that swimming-specific fitness can carry reasonably well through as a, almost like a general fitness towards biking and running. But biking yeah. and running fitness doesn't go too well towards the swimming side of things, which is why you can get okay. some really fit cyclists and runners coming into triathlon. And like you said, right yep. at the start, you know, then you think to himself, I can't even swim 20 meters. What, what the hell's wrong mm. with me sort of thing? You know, I'm having a heart attack or something like that. And it's not yeah. really that that, that fitness um, doesn't really transfer across that well. And it's all to do a little bit with the breathing side of things, you know, just how yep. you control that. Um you know, when you're out on the bike and run, you give scant regard to your breathing. Whereas when you're swimming, you have to breathe well and efficiently yep. to make it work well for you. So I think one of the reasons swimming transfers well to bike and running is it, it just sort of teaches people how to breathe better first and foremost. Um, the biking and running, of course, if you, if you really fit, you're likely to be quite sort of skinny in the upper body, but quite well developed in the legs, which is going to make yeah. your legs sink quite low in the water. And that's why a lot of, especially a lot of the, the top age group uh, triathletes get to a point with their swimming where, you know, they might be able to just break 58, 59 minutes over an Ironman distance swim sort of thing, but they can't get much beyond that. And a lot of it is yeah. to do with the fact that, you know, they're, they're fantastic on the bike and run. And, and some of that is almost like a, a bit of give and take basically about how and far, how far you can get with it. So yeah, yeah. There's, a bit, there's definitely a bit of cross of transfer between the, or transfer I should say between uh, swim and then to bike and run. But, it doesn't really go as well the other way. And just thinking about that, it's one of the reasons why I've, um, I've coached some people over the years who are very good um, age group triathletes, Ironman athletes who, who've got the ability to go to Kona and their yeah. swimming would be sort of in the, yeah, again, probably about this 57, 58, 59 minute bracket. So they would be the, you know, in their age group, they'd be right up at the top coming out of the water with right. that. And they've, you often see them taking this approach. Well, my swimming doesn't, it's not really going to improve much. Um, so I've seen people only start swimming four weeks before an Ironman. Wow. You know, everything else in the six to 12 months before that has just been purely on the bike and run. So oh they've got goodness. themselves in ripper shape for the bike and run. And then they come to swim <laughs> yeah. and those four weeks, it's like, uh-oh, where, yeah. hang on, why can't I swim? <laughs> And then, but then the really problem is the real problem is when they come to race is that because they've lost so much swim specific fitness, they might yeah. still be coming out in 58, nine, 59 minutes, but it's absolutely crucified them to do that. And then yeah. their biking and running ends up suffering because they haven't been doing the swim 
swim training as well. So it's a real yeah. misnomer if you do an Ironman to think to yourself, right, the swim only contributes 10 to 12% of the entire time that I'll be out there, maybe up to 15%, something like that. Yeah. The bike and runway are going to make the big margins. But if you give very scant regard to your swimming, you'll be in for a big mm. shock in terms of how you imagine doing all that bike and running training and then suddenly underperforming on the bike and run yeah let alone the swim the swims you you're going to see negligible yeah. difference on the swim but if you were 15 minutes slower on the bike than you expected to be without realizing it's because of the swim you'd be absolutely mortified yeah so the, swim, the swim specific fitness just you know it has to be it has to be there and um I think a lot of people don't do a lot of swimming because they don't maybe don't have the structure, don't know how to structure training yeah. properly, don't maybe don't enjoy it. So all of these little things that you can do to uh, to maybe enhance that, whether it be through different drills, setting structured yeah. programs, using your wearable, getting some feedback about how you're going, all these sort of things can certainly improve that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's great advice. I mean, yeah, there is different types of fitness depending on what discipline you're doing is is what I would say. And you, you know, if you are doing triathlon, if you're listening to this, then you do need to focus on all those three different di- disciplines because it's a different type of fitness. Like you say, you know, the biggest thing is, is breathing. Uh, obviously, yeah. on the bike, you don't need to focus as much on the breathing as you do the swim and the run. Um, but, you know, there's different techniques that you need. And like you say, you know, even if you could swim a 59, if uh, you know, for a 3.8K swim um, and only have trained for four weeks, you're going to be ruined when you come out of the water. No two ways about it. For sure, um, for sure. But, you know, you, I would rather swim that same time but come out of that water fresh and then jump onto the bike. So, so yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a great point. So, um, Paul, before we f- we finish up today, then what are the five key actions that you say that listeners could take away to either help them improve their swimming when they come back, or to establish a good training routine? Yeah, I think um, certainly in terms of when they come back, one of the good things to do again to re-emphasize it is the is the breathing side of things. And I sound like a broken record yep. saying that, but no, no, no. There's you know there's um a very quick story I, did, I ran a big coaching conference for uh, triathlon australia over here probably about 10 years ago and i said to right. all the coaches you know many of whom were more experienced and very much my peers sort of thing uh um, yeah i said to them okay everybody what's the most important thing with swimming yeah you know, for, for a swimmer for a triathlete to think about when they swim and you know first guy stood up and goes it's elbows it's all in the elbows get the elbows high and somebody else said it's all about the catch it's about the catch and somebody said it's the strength of the kick i said no 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 yeah. no much more simple than that. I said, it's breathing. If you haven't got the breathing in place, you've got no yep. chance of actually improving your swimming because everything else is almost inconsequential beyond that point. So breathing is mm. absolutely essential. And funny enough, later on that day, we had uh, an elite traffic came down and um, you could see all the coaches sort of smirking, thinking, you know, because this guy was a pretty good swimmer. And right. and I, I, my job was to try to show you how you'd improve your swimming. And I could look over and everyone's smirking and they're sort of like, oh, how's he going to do this? This this guy looks perfect. <laughs> nice guy, elbows, great catch, strong kick, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And uh, I said, right, the only thing wrong with this guy is he's holding his breath underneath the water. And they said, no, he's not. He can't be. He's an elite athlete. I said, he's holding his breath underneath the water. Here, let's have a look at this video. So we did the video analysis yeah. and, the, guy, and the, the athlete was like, oh, I thought that's what you're supposed to do. I said, no, 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 no. You're supposed to blow out underneath the water. And I showed him the drills, the sink downs, and this is an elite athlete. This is somebody capable of swimming wow. 17 minutes for 1,500. 
We did the sink yeah. down exercises with this elite athlete, and sure enough, it made a tremendous improvement to how efficient he was and how comfortably he felt in the in the water. So that definitely would be my first tip: is don't don't knock aside the uh, knock aside the breathing. In terms of yeah. the uh, in terms of the stroke itself, you know, a couple of things. I mean, a lot of your listeners are probably going to have that low sinky leg syndrome. Um, yeah. One misnomer which people make the error of is to then simply correct that by having the pull boy between the legs. You know, right. we call we've got a system called swim types, and one of our six swimmers that we've recognised is an, a swimmer called the Arnie. So this is somebody who feels yeah. like they're wrestling the water, legs dragging low, and they'll typically reach for a pool boy because it'll instant it'll provide an instant fix to their low sinking legs. But obviously, it's just a, an instant fix; it's not actually fixing the problem itself. And what people fail to recognise with the pool boy as well is it's not just giving you buoyancy. But usually one of the reasons why people's legs drag is what I was talking about earlier on about crossing over in front of your head. So if you cross over in front of your head, your legs tend to scissor kick apart, which creates drag mm -hmm. and slows you down even further. So the pool boy is not yeah. only giving you buoyancy, but it's preventing your legs scissor kicking apart as well. So if you don't address those things, then it's uh, then you're going to be going to be really struggling. So there is a place for using pool boys. We certainly use them within yeah. our program, but uh, there's a time and a place for it. You shouldn't be using it just to sort of. Um, uh, you know, make up for um, uh, everything, uh, the misgivings of the stroke, as it were. Um, yeah. In terms of um, establishing a good training routine, I'm going to I'm going to start with the, the the c word here. The, the word is consistency. That is yep. really there is no magic, there is no silver bullet to getting to becoming a better swimmer. It's just simply about consistency. And everybody listening to this right now should be nodding their heads and listening and, and thinking, yep. Of course, because none of us have had consistency over the last eight or nine weeks. We've been out no. of the water. Uh, the routine has gone, basically. So set yourself the challenge of just being consistent when you get back. Not doing, you know, two weeks of hero training, you know, an hour and a half, <laughs> you know, 5K session sort of thing, and then be yeah. in a heat the following week. Start off small, get in there regularly. If you can do two yeah. sessions a week, stick to two sessions a week. If you can do four, stick to four. But try to just get that consistency happening, and uh, and that will really, really make a big difference. And I know people bang on about consistency, and you might be listening to this rolling your eyeballs, thinking, yeah, I've heard that all <laughs> before sort of thing. But there yeah. is no secret. There isn't, like... People come to no, me and say, hey, right. can you make me 20 minutes faster over an Ironman swim? <laughs> and we start talking about the training program. The training program is just all over the place. So let's start with yeah. that. Just start simply yeah. with, uh, with getting that right. I think um, uh, point number four, yeah, I, I think just sort of recognizing that swimming for triathlon especially is going to be quite different to swimming for classic pool swimming. So yeah. a lot of people tell you that you've got to have the absolute perfect looking freestyle swim stroke. You need to look like Ian Thorpe or even, dare I say, our uh, my, one of my favorite swimmers of all time, Rebecca Adlington over there in the UK. Beautiful yep. swimmer, like really, really nice. But swimming well in the open water doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have the most picture perfect freestyle swim stroke. And, you know, I'm very lucky enough to have done quite a bit of work and, uh, and met up with, and when I say work with, um, designing wetsuits and stuff with Alistair and Jonathan Brownlee. And when I caught up with them okay. for the first time, both of these two guys swim with a style that we call the swinger, which is a very sort of short, punchy stroke, very straight arm recovery right. over the top of the water. And um, am I allowed to swear on the show or? uh yeah <laughs> i'll bleep it i'll bleep it i'll I'll, yeah. I'll come up with something different but basically we had we sat down for a beer in bradford and uh and i said to alistair i said you know what's your stroke what, what's your perception of your stroke like what do you think and he just goes oh it's, it's terrible and he obviously said something different there but he said, it's, yeah. it's terrible <laughs> it's uh, really scrappy and stuff 
I said, it can't be really terrible and really scrappy if you've got two Olympic gold medals sat around your neck sort of thing. You're obviously doing <laughs> yeah, exactly. something correct. And the thing is, a lot of people assume that swimmers like Alistair and you know some of the other top, sw- top triathlon swimmers in the world um, are achieving in the open water despite their stroke. But we actually believe yeah. that they're achieving because of their stroke. And Alistair's a brilliant example of somebody who's super versatile in the open water. When you watch yeah. him, most of the time, you'll see him breathing to his left-hand side. The reason he breathes to right. his left-hand side most of the time is because most triathlon courses turn to the left. They're on anti-clockwise courses where it's just easier yeah. and simpler to breathe to the left. But on certain courses, uh, the Melbourne um, – uh, sorry, Gold Coast Commonwealth Games just back in 2018, Jonathan Brownlee, his brother, younger brother, was drawn on the other side of the pontoon. It meant that Alistair had to try to search for him in the open water. And wow. even though the course was a left-hand turn, there's a period of about 200 metres where you see Alistair to switch to breathing to the right hand side and all he's trying yeah. to do is eyeball Jonathan to make sure they come out of the water together and onto the bike so you know it's, wow. uh, it's an amazing amazing bit of versatility so yeah your stroke doesn't yeah. need to be at, look absolutely picture perfect there is no such thing as perfection in swimming and um, and I think sometimes you've got to look beyond look a little bit beyond the aesthetics you know everyone in the old yeah. days people used to say you've got to look like Ian Thorpe you've got to have this really long glidey stroke but We've done a lot of studies on this. We've seen a lot of studies and research which actually demonstrate that gliding and trying to minimize your stroke count is almost the complete opposite of what you want to be doing in the open water. So the, the, it sort of blows my mind when you still hear people saying, do loads of catch-up, try to reduce the number of strokes you can take per lap. Because funny enough, Alistair Brownlee does the complete opposite of that and he's the best triathlete that's ever existed. So um, it's just yeah. something worth bearing in mind. And um, yeah, and I think the, the final point really is, you know, if you're getting... Um, if you're getting yourself suited up for some of these open water swims that you're likely to be doing in the next few weeks and stuff, just make sure you've put your wetsuit on properly. I know it sounds like a real basic tip, but the number yeah. of people who come to us and say, oh, I've got this wetsuit, you know, it's fantastic. It cost me 500 pounds or whatever, and yet it feels terrible around my shoulders. And you say, well, go and put it on there and let me see, see what it looks like. And, and they just pull it on, they're ripping around and stuff like that. We've got a video up on YouTube. It's It's been viewed a lot of times, like half a million times or something, just showing you how to put on a, a wetsuit. So if you just Google or go to YouTube, go swim smooth wetsuit or something, it should come straight up as the first thing. Um, and just right. showing you how by getting somebody else to help you, we call it the human shoehorn effect, which is actually shoehorning somebody in at the back. It makes a tremendous right. bit of difference in terms of how well it fits over the shoulder, how free and mobile you feel. And, and that in itself, you know, swimming in the open water, as I mentioned beforehand, can be quite riddled with anxiety and tension and stress. Right. So yeah. The last thing you want to do to add to that is have a, what you think is an ill-fitting wetsuit adding to that stress. So long as you spend an extra five minutes or so just putting it on, um, you'll be yeah. uh, you'll be you'll be going great guns. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's some fantastic advice there, Paul. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks very much. I think yeah, the the, the wetsuit one is one which you kind of. It's funny when you go to open water, you see all kinds of weird and wonderful ways that people get into their suit. But Definitely. you're right. If it doesn't fit properly and you get in the water, you know, you're restricted and you don't flow properly and it makes it just uncomfortable. Just another thing to add on to all the other things that you have to think about. So Absolutely. before we wrap up then, Paul, um, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel that like I should have done that would benefit the listeners? Um, just what type of tea I drink, really. 
<laughs> would it be Yorkshire tea by any It chance? would be Yorkshire tea. You've got it there. Very good. Very good. In fact, I just ran out today and uh, my wife, my gorgeous wife, Michelle, she's just gone out and bought some new, more Yorkshire tea. Do you know, Yorkshire tea over here for 40 tea bags used to cost $30, which was, which is about, no way. back in those days, about 20 quid for 40 tea bags. Crazy amount of money. Jesus. It's now become a staple yeah. in most of the supermarkets around here and stuff. So uh, I think you've probably seen the Brownlee Brothers advertising Yorkshire tea and stuff. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's the one yeah. thing that keeps me connected to the UK for sure. <laughs> good, good <laughs> strong fantastic. cup of Yorkshire, Yorkshire gold, yeah. <laughs> you can't beat it. Well, Paul, it's been amazing talking to you today. Thank you very much for, for coming on and sharing all of the, the great information. Um, so how can people connect with you, with Swim Smooth? Where can they find the app um, and all those good stuff? I mean, the first place to go really is just simply swimsmooth.com um, or go onto YouTube. Okay. We've been doing a lot of new YouTube videos during this period. So some yep. good new stuff up on there at the moment. So just go to YouTube, search for Swim Smooth. We're on Instagram under Swim Smooth, Twitter under Swim Smooth and stuff. But if you're thinking about doing the uh, COVID comeback program, you want to go and jump check out swimsmooth.guru. That's G-U-R-U, swimsmooth.guru, where you'll be able to get on there and uh, and start uh, start following that program. We've got some really exciting stuff coming out in the next uh, next few months. I can't say too much more about it at the moment, but it's basically right. what you see at the moment is version two of the guru. Version three of the guru is just around the corner, and it's gonna it's got some uh, okay. fantastic sort of intelligence built into it to really help you with your swimming. And we're hoping that's going to tie in nicely with people getting back into the swing of things and uh, and just you know, yeah, getting getting better with their Excellent. swimming. Awesome, Paul. Well, thank you very much again. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I look forward to, to catching up with you again in the future. No worries at all. Thanks very much for having me on. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. And a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.